Hey, welcome. It is seven minutes after nine o'clock. Glad to have you with us. Uh, Jennifer Bukowski in about an hour and a half. Uh, we'll hear from Senator Bill Eigel. Uh, let me just uh, point out this has nothing to do with any campaign or any political race. I simply want him on because he's a senator here in the state of Missouri, and I want his opinion on things that are going on both around the state of Missouri and around the country. That will come up uh, about a half an hour from now. And uh, in the interim, uh, there is a, a new game show out there, Brian Hansen, that uh, I thought I would uh, tell you about in case oh, you wanted. Oh, very good, very good. Because yeah. you, uh, you know, you're kind of an adventurous guy. Um, so uh, here, here's the uh, recap of the show. Just in case. Uh-oh. In this dating show, we go back to basics. Are you ready? Bring on. And start where a good date often ends. <gasps> Naked. It's in a wet look. I don't think faced with six. No, but I feel like I should have done. What do men and women really find physically attractive? Wow. This is fantastic. And could picking a partner based solely on their natural beauty help us find the one? I've never met anybody like this before and I don't know where to look. Let's find out by dating in reverse. Who are you going to pick to see your date? This is the hardest decision of my life. Oh my God. Naked Attraction. So in case you want to, you know, they, they I got, apparently what they do is they got all these people lined up um, in uh, little booths and they raise the the opaque glass a little bit at a time. Right. So you see their feet and you see their knees <laughs> and you see their thighs and you see their, you uh-huh. know what. Um, and then eventually it gets to the point where you see them standing there completely naked, and then uh, she has to pick whichever guy she wants. But when she's doing that, she has to be completely <laughs> naked, too. Come on. Man. You're making this up. I am. This is an actual <laughs> game show, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it'll be uh. a Cinemax. Uh, it'll be a Max thing uh, that, that, <laughs> that you can watch. Uh, and I thought I would just <laughs> tell everybody about that. Oh, Lord. Um, You will recall that I told you, uh, if there's a government shutdown, how the media will handle the shutdown. They will use emotions, not logic. Uh, They will tell one side of the story, and they will try to paint the Republicans as uncaring, horrible who want the poor to starve uh, and people to be out in the streets. There is a story in the Columbia uh, Missourian this morning. Food benefits for low-income families at risk in a government shutdown. This is carrying the White House water here. Uh, They they write, as uh, Congress barrels toward a partial government shutdown, the White House Monday warned that a program that helps millions of low-income families afford healthy food could see substantial cuts. Oh, boo-hoo, we can't do this. Oh, a state-by-state breakdown estimates nearly 7 million people who rely on your tax dollars to survive through special supplement nutrition program for women, infants, and children would be at risk of losing funds to purchase select food and receive vouchers for vegetables and fruit. I mean, this is just going to be horrible. I'm telling you right now, they're pumping it up. They're getting ready. 
it's going to be, oh, those damned Republicans are so heartless. We simply can't have this shut down because these kids will starve to death. Uh, it's, it's just the start. I'm telling you, it's going to get nothing, nothing but, uh, but worse. Uh, Senator Igle is going to be on the program. A judge rejected uh, and rewrote uh, the summary for Missouri's abortion initiative petition. We'll get his opinion on that. Uh, again, he is coming on simply as a senator, and I want to know where he stands on this and a couple of other issues. That'll be at 935. We keep harping about the national debt here. And um, Steve Bannon had uh, E.J. Antonion. And I would, what happens here is the government never pays down the principal. They just roll over debt. And while the interest rates were at zero or close to it, it was easy to roll over the debt. But now interest rates are going up. And that debt is going to get rolled over into a higher interest rate. What does that mean? Well, that means that more of the money you send to the Treasury out of your paycheck to cover national defense and the things the government's supposed to do is instead going to go to either paying back Social Security for the money they borrowed or servicing the debt for the money the country has borrowed. But wait, there's more because... This non-discretionary spending is going to increase, and so you're not only going to have the higher interest rates, you're going to have higher debt. Do you know what the estimate is for interest on the debt next year? Brian, take a stab at it. Man, I have no idea. Would you believe it will surpass a trillion dollars? <laughs> no, certainly not. That's just interest. A trillion dollars. That doesn't include the increase in spending that will make the debt even greater. So you can see how this is compounding. It's getting bigger faster. And it will continue to get faster every year. Until there's no money left for national defense. That's the direction we're headed on, uh, that we're headed in. People want, you know, hey, you keep talking about the national debt. I don't want to hear about the national debt. Well, you better pay attention to it. Because when the dollar collapses under the weight of all of these government programs and all of this deficit spending, your dollar will be useless. Your Social Security payment will be useless. Your your hard-earned dollars won't get you anything. What we've experienced since Biden took office in terms of inflation is minuscule in comparison to where we're headed. You know, you think it's tough when gasoline goes up a buck, a buck and a quarter, uh, or a buck and a half in, in uh, six months. Well, it'll go up ten times that. You won't be able to keep up. It's, it, is, it is a scary proposition, but we have got to pay attention to this. Here's E.J. Antoni, uh, who is on uh, with Steve Bannon. 
we're looking at next year being $800 billion before we add any new debt and before existing debt gets set at, rolled over, excuse me, at a higher interest rate. So that $800 billion is actually a very rosy scenario. It's going to be much higher. We're going to break a trillion dollars in the next fiscal year in terms of interest on the debt. And you, you're absolutely right. You outlined it very well there. We have an additional $2 trillion in borrowing that the Treasury is going to have to do to finance this massive deficit. And we have about $8 trillion that's going to have to roll over from low interest rates to now much yeah. higher interest rates. I mean, this is yeah. absolutely crowding out the private marketplace here. This is why interest rates can't come down. If, if that doesn't wake people up, then they're just, they're just in a coma and there's, there's no saving them. Uh, there's a piece in the Wall Street Journal about rising interest rates are hitting American finances. Um, and this is this is why I was talking about how the uh, when the Fed cranks up the interest rates, the lagging indicators are the problem. You don't see an instant response in the market. Um, it, it comes uh, months down the road. And that's why they're trying to be as careful as they can on, on raising interest rates. I'll tell you what the Wall Street Journal said about this in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. We're talking about uh, the uh, interest rate hikes and the impact on the federal budget. And it's not much different for anybody who's trying to borrow money in the private uh, private sector. Uh, there was a uh, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal with uh, Liz Ann Saunders. The, she's the uh, chief investment strategist over at Charles Schwab, and she says that uh, borrowers who are shopping for mortgages and car loans are getting sticker shock, uh, and that's the because the, the the interest rates have gone up so hard and so high, trying to counteract all the Biden spending. Thirty year fixed rate mortgage today is somewhere around seven percent. Just a couple of years ago, it was 3%. That means that uh, somebody who's out there, if you're out there looking to buy a house, you're going to pay hundreds of dollars more a month compared with just a couple of years ago. And car loans are apparently, they're even worse. By the way, when you compound that with the cars, uh, with the auto worker strike, uh, this is just a toxic mix. Buying a house or a car is unaffordable for most Americans. You got higher borrowing costs, you got higher prices, uh, and that's a problem. Mark Zandi, uh, who's the uh, chief economist over at Moody's Analytics, says the typical household is going to use 42 weeks of income to buy a new car. That's up from 33 weeks just three years ago. And uh, the National Realtor calculates the uh, um, typical American family can't afford to buy the median-priced home. So what's going to happen? We're going to end up in tiny little houses with really high interest rates. And just as, as we have to look at cheaper cars and smaller houses because more of our money is going to service the debt, the higher interest rate, that's what's happening to the federal government. We're going to slowly cut back everything in, in an attempt to, to make ends meet. But the federal government doesn't have control. Thanks to the Democrats and the Republicans, there are some things that are simply not to be tinkered with. 
social programs in particular. So that debt will continue to go up. You know, there is a story I was reading today about uh, um, a a Democrat in California, the the pencil uh, neck geek, who is apparently spending on pork projects that uh, even the left don't like. There's a piece on, on his spending in Politico. You could cut out all the pork spending. Every piece of pork spending that the government engages in and it would not stop the direction we're headed in. Everybody thought, well, they're sending $2 million here, $4 million here, and that's nothing. That is peanuts. It's a fraction of a, it's a tiny little percent of the federal budget. The real money is in the social programs and the military. And there is just nothing that that uh, anybody is willing to do you know keep keep voting the way you're voting and and, and you'll see you get the same result uh, no change 8749390 toll free number 8052955725 by the way I was talking about Adam Schiff uh, and his earmarks uh, they're you know the republicans will make light of this even some democrats because they don't like where he's spending the money but it's nothing it's peanuts that doesn't mean I'm, I'm, I'm good with it or I'm okay with it, but it's, it's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. You're going down. You're going down. Nobody gives a rodent's rectum. Oh, boy. Uh, also uh, in the news, some election uh, polling data. And I know a lot of Trump fans are really excited about some of this data, uh, particularly this uh, one uh, study that shows... Trump trouncing Biden. I keep telling you it's way too early to pay attention. Right now, what you have, in all likelihood, is two candidates most Americans don't want. I know, I know, Trump fans want Trump, and, and I understand that. I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not saying anything about that. What I'm telling you is. That neither candidate is popular with most of the country. Something like 70% would rather two other candidates be the nominee. So here is where you, you, you have a problem. Because right now they're just, they're just trying to figure out what's the lesser evil. Which one of these two is the less evil? And right now it appears that in spite of all of these legal challenges, Donald Trump... Uh, is the lesser evil. And the reason for this is because the economy is motivating a lot of voters. But what happens if, if Joe Biden is not the nominee? See, that's, where, that's where you get in trouble. You're no longer comparing two highly unpopular candidates that you have to choose from. Democrats come up with somebody that is palatable to the uh, to the center, and you got a whole different ball game. Now you've got someone who doesn't have Joe Biden's record. Uh, if they get someone who is, you know, cognitively aware, uh, can speak clearly, who echoes uh, some of the left's 
talking points and appears less radical, but still to the left, you got a whole different ballgame. All that polling data goes out the window. And I keep hearing from people all over the place that they don't think Joe Biden is going to be the nominee of the party. Democrats are unhappy with him. They recognize his frailties. They're actively saying in private, and in some cases even publicly saying, we need a different nominee. That's, that's when the rubber hits the road. That's when you have to make sure that the candidate, the Republicans have to make sure that the candidate they're picking will stand up to someone less electable than Joe Biden or more electable than Joe Biden. So don't get, you know, highly excited. Oh, man, he's got it. He's going to win. He's going to be the next president. There's a real good chance that all gets derailed. It's interesting how the left are rejecting uh, that polling data, by the way. And I, you know, they're, literally, they're, hey, that we're an outlier here. We don't trust our own data. <laughs> Suddenly, they, they're, I mean, why? If they didn't trust their own data, if they didn't think that it was a valid study and, and uh, an accurate representation of what's going on, why didn't they, why didn't they cancel it? Why didn't they say, well, look, you, you've polled, you know, you've done this wrong. You got the wrong cohorts. You're giving too much uh, credit and weight to one cohort than, than you should. Why wouldn't they do that and then do it over again? Because they trusted it when they released it. But they didn't like the result. And so now they're changing it around. And, and this argument that uh, we, and, and we talked about this yesterday in the Gary Nolan Minute, that uh, Donald Trump is edging out Joe Biden by nine points. <laughs> uh, uh, there's not a politician within the sound of my voice that wouldn't like to win an election by nine points. That's a slam dunk. He's not edging him out. He's crushing him. But again, that's the polling data that I think is going to help drive the Democrats to find somebody else. Um. Uh, we um, we have one of my favorite economists on the program every Wednesday. He'll be on tomorrow again uh, from Ramapo College. Uh, he is uh, economics professor emeritus. And he is absolutely convinced, absolutely convinced that it is not going to be Joe Biden. I'll be curious to see if you guys think Biden is going to be the nominee of the Democrat Party. We'll get to that in the next hour of the show. Uh, probably at 10.05, uh, we'll do a lightning survey to find out. And, of course, a lightning survey is different than a regular phone call because it doesn't count as your call of the day. But I want you to think about it. I want you to look at all the opportunities for all the other Democrats who are out there. There are legislators, Democrats, all over the place. Uh, Michelle Obama, keeps uh, that name keeps uh, cropping up. Uh, the, the governor of uh, California keeps cropping up. There are all kinds of other candidates out there. Joe Manchin's name comes up. Do you, just think about it, and, and we'll get to it at about 10.05. Senator Eigel on next. Cole County judge rewrote the ballot titles for six initiative petitions on abortion in Missouri. We'll find out what he thinks.
This is the Gary Nolan Show. 9.35, exactly one hour from now, Jennifer Bukowski is going to be with us. She's not only a brilliant criminal defense attorney, uh, but she has her finger firmly on the pulse of pretty much everything political that's going on. She's going to talk to us about the Menendez indictment. Uh, she actually is skeptical. I want to find out why. Uh, she's also uh, going to talk about uh, a topic that I'm going to bring up here in a couple of minutes with Senator Eigel. Uh, Trump 45 Glock. Trump couldn't lawfully buy it because under the felony indictment, uh, he's not allowed to. That may soon change. Uh, so we're going to uh, move on. That, that's all coming up an hour from now. Senator Bill Eigel joins us now. He is on here not as a candidate, but as the senator. Uh, from uh, the state of Missouri or in the state of Missouri, and I am curious to get his opinions on what's going on. Senator, welcome. How are you? Hey, Gary, no, Gary Nolan, thanks for having me. What a great day. Always a pleasure. Uh, let's talk about Beatum's ruling. Um, he heard arguments from the ACLU of Missouri on, uh, on, on abortion, uh, and uh, he has decided that there are certain phrases in the secretary's summary that are problematic and that they are, they are argumentative and don't fairly describe the purposes uh, or the probable effect of the initiative. That's what he wrote. Uh, have you had a chance to look over his decision and what do you think? Uh, well, so I, I know what everybody else knows that the judge basically uh, threw out the secretary's language. I actually thought that the secretary's language uh, was pretty accurate. Um, the the language that uh, Jay Ashcroft put in there, I, I think, accurately portrayed uh, what the effects would be if we start punching holes in the in the heartbeat bill uh, and start allowing initiative petitions to start override that. I mean, uh, what I, I would say though that I'm a little disappointed about is uh, we always here's the thing, Gary. We always knew that the courts were going to throw out the language that Jay Ashcroft wrote. It wasn't that Jay Ashcroft's language was bad, but we knew from the moment he wrote that language that the courts were going to throw this out. So whether it happened with Judge Beatum or it went to an appeals court or it went to Missouri Supreme Court, everyone knew that that language was going to get thrown out. It was, uh, it was aggressively written, accurately written, uh, but we knew it was going to get thrown out. And so I don't know that I could say that we were ever actually serious about this being what this being the fix to those initiative petitions. I will tell you, every one of those initiative petitions ought to be rejected from the ballot and never be put in front of the people of this state by the Secretary of State. If the Secretary was serious about preventing abortion from getting on the ballot, he would throw those out. He would throw those uh, initiative petitions out because they don't have, con they, don't, they don't maintain constitutional requirements. And he's empowered under Section 116.120 to throw them out from the ballot just like he was empowered to get rid of Amendment 3 before that got to the ballot because it had multiple subjects, just like he was uh, allowed to uh, throw, he should have thrown out clean Missouri. So I, I think his language was good, but if we're being honest with one, with one another, that language was never going to make it past the court, and I'd like to see the Secretary take real action to prevent these things from getting to the ballot in the first place. Would you explain to listeners uh, how he could reject uh, and exactly why he could reject these ballots in, in their entirety? Sure. So I'll give you one of the example. Uh, one of the uh, initiative petitions allows for exceptions for rape and incest, correct? Yeah. Okay. So uh, how can it, that's, that right there is an example of multiple subjects. I mean, theoretically, you could answer yes to one part of that question and no to another part of that question, depending on which of those two exceptions you may say yes or no to. So that's a violation of the constitutional single subject requirement in my mind. 
Now, under Section 116.120 of the state code, the secretary is responsible for judging the validity of each one of these ballots and can reject them from the ballot if they don't meet constitutional muster. And I just gave you a great example of one of those uh, one of those items. Both the Missouri Supreme Court and the Missouri Attorney General have ruled previously that the, the Secretary of State has this authority, but Jay Ashcroft has refused to enact this authority to protect the ballot. That's why we're having this conversation about initiative petitions in the first place, because for as long as Jay Ashcroft has been the Secretary of State, he refuses to protect the ballot from all these unconstitutional items that get in front of the people of Missouri and ultimately get into the Constitution. I'll give you another example. Amendment 3, just to go back in time a little bit, Amendment 3, which was the marijuana petition, had about 14 different subjects. Regardless of if you think marijuana ought to be legal in the state of Missouri, it was never constitutional that that particular question should have been on the ballot in the first place. But it wasn't rejected. It wasn't rejected like it should have been. Couldn't someone argue, Senator, that uh, rape and incest on the abortion issue is one topic, abortion? Well, that's like, well, that would be like arguing that Amendment 3 was one topic, it was marijuana. My standard uh, for judging these things is to simply say, if you can answer rationally and logically yes to one part of the question and no to something else, or no to something else that is in the full ballot or the full changes to the law in the first place, then that's a violation of the single subject clause. And quite frankly, as a pro-life Republican, don't we want, isn't this the perfect issue to actually make the case that we should have the most aggressive interpretation of the single subject clause in the first place on something as important as protecting the unborn in this state? I mean, I, I don't know why, you know, I, I actually also agree. Not only do I agree with the, the secretary's language that he pushed, even though I think that was a political sham that he did that, I also agree with the attorney general's uh, fiscal note analysis on these initiative petitions. But unfortunately, our state auditor and our secretary of state refused to support the attorney general in that motion. So, again, I think all of this comes back to, and you've heard me say this before, Gary, we have statewide officials that don't want to be aggressive about protecting the rights of its citizens in the state. And this pro-life issue, this is another just great example of where some of our statewide leadership has failed to do so. So, uh, you know, I, I take the view that if we had a secretary of state that was serious about protecting the ballot, not just from these initiative petitions on the abortion, but all of the, all of the initiative petitions that are coming out that have multiple subjects that should be uh, rejected from the ballot, that Missouri would be in a much better place, but we just don't have that right now. I assume that you are listening to the first part of the show, because there's a fine involved if you're not listening. And, and But I'll, I'll uh, rather than have Brian uh, go after you for a credit card number and that three-digit secret uh, <laughs> password, uh, I will refresh uh, and let you know that uh, the interest at the federal level on the national debt uh, is expected to go up to somewhere in the neighborhood of $3 trillion. Mm. Uh, we've got uh, non-discretionary spending that continues to increase. We're rolling over debt that was at near 0% interest uh, to 5 6 7% interest uh, as we continue to, to escalate the debt. So it's, it's rapidly getting out of hand, and mm-hmm. it's, it, it doesn't seem to... Uh, to be uh, to be slowing. What should the Republicans in Washington D.C. do about that? Stop spending. I mean, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes the answer, the simplest answer, is the best. And, and actually, you're absolutely right about that. And actually, we've known for a gen, more than a generation that spending 
uh, in Washington, D.C. is out of control and that no matter who's in charge up there, Republicans or Democrats, no matter who's in charge in Washington, D.C., nobody has actually made good on the fiscal conservative promises that they gave in campaign season. And now look at we have now. Uh, endangered and made vulnerable future generations of Americans because of the abuses of both parties when it comes to spending money. What I would tell you, Gary, is that as that relates to the state of Missouri, we are just as bad in the state of Missouri because we have just as many Republicans and Democrats that love to spend money at the state level as we do at the federal level. In fact, we're actually aiding and abetting the abuses of federal spending with the Republican supermajorities that we have in Jefferson City. All of those federal dollars that are sent down to the state, hundreds of billions of dollars, trillions of dollars nationwide, have to be appropriated by state legislatures. And, of course, you have Republicans in Jefferson City that are saying, well, yeah, man, spending is, is in Washington, D.C. is out of control. And then they turn around and they vote for all that spending at the state level. And, of course, the number one person, and you've heard me talk about this as well, the number one person that has led us, led Missouri to be the most dependent state in the union on federal dollars coming from Washington, D.C., is the governor. So uh, I have been out talking about the fact that we've got to get this spending under control. If we don't, when, when Washington, D.C. implodes from this fiscal disaster, not if, but when they do, that means that overnight we stand to lose half of the state budget and we're going to have to make decisions in crisis here in the state of Missouri when that occurs because we did such a poor job managing spending in the previous few years. So uh, even though Washington, a lot of times Washington, D.C. and all of those trillions of dollars of defense, that can seem like it's pretty far away. But the moment that goes into implosion, we're going to feel it very terribly here in the state of Missouri. All right, well, let me tie this all together, because that's where I was headed. Senator Bill Eigel with us, by the way, if you just turned the radio on. The, the major drivers of debt at the federal level are the social programs, and the major level of the largest budget, uh, uh, portion of the budget here in the state of Missouri is, if I'm not mistaken, Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I correct about that? That's correct. That's correct. About 40-plus percent of our budget is Medicaid at the state level. All right, so you just said that <clears throat> what the Republicans need to do in Washington and in, and in Jeff City is to stop spending. So how do you present to the constituents uh, that you represent why you would want to privatize and get rid of Medicare, Medicaid, uh, and Social Security? Cause, uh, well, that, or, or pare down the military spending? Well, so let me take it from a state level and a federal perspective, right? So let's talk about the state level. And let's talk about the Medicaid program. Gary, you're aware that we had a, a an audit done in our Medicaid program, our existing Medicaid program, that found more than a billion dollars of waste in how we conduct the business of uh, executing the Medicaid program in this state. More than a billion dollars annually. But have we done a single thing to address the items found in that audit since 2017? No, we haven't done a single thing. So the first thing we do, we with the areas that we know we have waste, why don't we start going after those and make the, the programs that we have just a little bit more efficient? Why don't we, and then why don't we start implementing reforms to that Medicaid program that could actually go work towards getting people off of that program? And I'll give you an example of that. How about work requirements for Medicaid? You know, if we have able-bodied individuals on our Medicaid rolls, why aren't they working? I mean, and, and the fact that we haven't tackled that issue, and it's not because we don't have enough Republicans, we have allowed the Medicaid rolls to grow to a point where they've never been before. In fact, part of the reason, part of the, the downside, part, just part of the downside of accepting all the federal dollars 
during the COVID stimulus days was that they actually said you cannot kick anybody for any reason off your Medicaid roll. Even if they no longer qualify, you're not allowed to audit them. So we, <laughs> we not only knowingly tied our hands from reforming the biggest, most wasteful government program that we have in state government, even before the COVID environment, there hasn't been a single individual in the governor's office going back to the turn of the century that has lifted a finger to make these programs just a little bit more efficient. In fact, the only major thing that we did this year was expand Medicaid even further in this state. After we, we expanded it under Med, under Obamacare a couple of years ago, this year we expanded to extend coverage uh, even further for certain beneficiaries. So, you know, if we're going to be serious about getting the finances of this state and this country under control, and by the way, if you look at most polling, the, the spending and the debt that is building up in this nation is one of the biggest concerns that folks have about the future, then I think that their very reasonable case can be made that we ought to be aggressive about reforming all this broken government. I know <laughs> I've, been doing, I've been sounding that alarm in the state Senate for seven years, but it falls on deaf ears because of the status quo that you and I talk about almost every week on this show down in Jefferson City. Senator Bill Igel, thank you for being with us. We are out of time. Uh, but it was uh, it was a quick interview, but a fun one. Thank you. Thanks, Gary. Talk soon. All right. Take care, Senator Bill Eigel. All right. A lightning survey coming up on the Gary Nolan Show. Who do you think the Democrats will fight? I mean, if you're convinced that Joe Biden isn't going to be the nominee, who do you think the Democrats are going to be uh, putting up? Lightning survey coming up. Gary Nolan, Zimmer Radio Network. Oil could hit $150 a barrel. We'll get to that a little later in the program. Jennifer Bukowski will be with us at 1035. And uh, she's got some very interesting topics, including Menendez uh, and his indictment. She says she's skeptical. Uh, we'll also talk about uh, President Trump and buying a, a, Glock for, uh, a Glock 45. So we'll get to that with her. But in the meantime, lots and lots of you and others, I mean, I've heard from plenty of people uh, who are absolutely convinced that Joe Biden is not going to be the nominee of the party. And I believe the Democrats are anxious. They would love to find somebody else. But he's the incumbent, and they're a little leery of that. That said, there are several Democrats who have sort of hinted that they're willing to throw their hat in the ring. And you look at the polling data that shows Trump trouncing Biden... It is encouraging if Biden is the nominee because people are looking at who's the lesser of two evils. Trump fans are looking at, at Trump and saying he's not just the lesser of two evils. He is the guy. And I understand that. But others are looking at this, particularly the independents, as, you know, who's the lesser of two evils? And if they compare the economy uh, and a whole host of other things uh, between the two presidents... That's going to motivate voters, if it's Biden versus Trump, to vote for Trump. But if the Democrats are as desperate as they sound to convince Joe Biden not to run, then a whole different dynamic develops. Then those independents aren't necessarily looking at, holy, Toledo Biden was terrible, Trump's the better alternative, the lesser evil. They're looking at, oh, well, Manchin's not 100% in our direction, but he's a lot better uh, and, and a lot more in control cognitively of himself than Biden. 
and uh, and 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 nicer and likable. You, you got to admit that he is an amicable, nice guy. I mean, I disagree with him an awful lot, but he's a nice guy, and in politics, that accounts for a lot. Biden is not a nice guy, and Trump comes across as pretty coarse. So. If the Democrats nominate somebody less unlikable, more likable than Joe Biden, the polling data you've been excited about goes out the window and things could flip severely. Who do you think the Democrats will nominate instead of Joe Biden? And this does not count as your call of the day. This is just a, a quick lightning survey to see who you think it will be. Uh, the governor of California, uh, Joe Manchin. Uh, who, who do you think uh, there's a, a lot of people who believe Michelle Obama? I don't think it will be Michelle Obama, but I am curious to see who you think it will be. Uh, to that end, I've gotten some uh, messages here. Philip says uh, Biden... Knows that he's losing, needs support, which is why he's headed to the UAW picket line today. Uh, he and his stooges know that unions will stand with the Democrats regardless of how much the unions negotiated contracts will affect the pro their cost of their products. I don't think that he will be nominated by the Democrats. Uh, you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. But he didn't tell me who he thought it would be. Who do you think it will be? 874-9390-800-529-5572. Uh, let's see. No, says Judith Biden, will not be the Democrat candidate. It will be Michelle Obama, and she will be the next president. Uh, we are doomed. Boy, if that comes true, you're not kidding. Lightning survey choice, says Bill Adams, Michelle Obama. Really? Brian, a lot of people think the Dems are going to nominate Michelle. I uh, tend to think the same thing. Do you really? You yeah. think that they can uh, get yeah. away with that? I think they probably can and will. Because, I mean, it's really their only Trump card. Oh, that was the wrong Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> that was really, really bad. We didn't rehearse that, by the way. Uh, all right. Well, who do you think it will be? Do you, do you actually think? I don't think it's going to be Michelle Obama. But we'll find out who you think. Then Jennifer Bukowski will be on board to talk about the Menendez indictments and more on The Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. This is The Gary Nolan Show.